This message is a ministry of Plainville Baptist Church. www.plainvillebaptistchurch.org Father God, we come before you humbly, recognizing that we need to hear from you. We need to feed on your word. We need to be built up. We need to be encouraged. We need to be strengthened. Perhaps we need to be rebuked. Father, I pray that you would speak through our pastor this morning, that we might receive that which is needed. Father, that you would be glorified and your body would be built up. I ask this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Rick. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Titus chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Titus chapter 1, as you're turning there, um, had a request for, you know, that I think the marriage conference is a very important time together, and I had a request from uh, an older gentleman in the congregation who said, I'd love to come, but I'm not married. Um, so if there's an older lady here at the church, who also, he said, um, you know, if you can take care of that before the conference, I'd be glad to go. So... Uh, ladies, please, please let me know. We'll, uh, we can exchange pictures. <laughs> Titus chapter 1, starting in verse 5. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion... For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. And so, as we started last week in this material, um, Paul is, is reminding Titus to finish up the details of these, getting these churches going and assigning or appointing pastors in every city, and something that Paul describes as a, a shared responsibility. Um, you might ask, you know, well, why should I be con concerned about these things, you know, about the qualifications of a pastor? Well, first of all, I, I, like I said last week, no pastor or aspiring pastor can read through this and, and not be uh, pricked in his heart over uh, these very things and how far short we fall, knowing that apart from uh, the calling of God, the grace of God, that we uh, could carry this out, um, but also in in sense of a preparation, you know. So this is a little confession today, um, the, the, during this time of of those things that look, I need to do better. Um, so the second though is preparation, because one day you're going to need to replace the pastor, and you need to see how are we to go about this. And um, maybe even after today's message, after I've finished confessing uh, these things that I fall short, you say, now we need to find a better guy. So 
That may be the case. Um, that would be all right. Um, but thirdly, as an exhortation, because each of these characteristics are good for every believer to incorporate into their lives because they exhibit, they, they show the, the, the exhibition of Christian maturity, uh, things that we ought to strive for. Uh, but I'll begin this message the way I ended the last message. None of these things, by doing them, by mastering them, can ever bring eternal life. Uh, these, these cannot be our source of eternal life uh, because God requires perfection. And it's only in the perfection of Jesus Christ that we can find life, that we can find eternal life. And so as we, we see this, we recognize and understand uh, this truth. It comes by faith in Him and not by doing these things. Yet God calls us to live godly lives. And so Paul divides this material into two areas, into character and ability. Um, and, and he divides the character section into two parts as well. We looked at part of those last week. Um, there's, there's a section in the family that, that's defined by faithfulness. Faithfulness to one's wife, the faithfulness of one's children, and then the personal character as well of this individual. And he breaks those characters into two parts, a negative, not this, not this, not this, but the positive, but this, but this, but this. And, and so we've looked at some of these negative ones from last week, not self-willed. And we said, if we're not to be self-willed, we need to be submitting to one another and to the Lord Jesus. We need to be submitting ourselves unto Him, not quick-tempered, which means that we need the Lord's gentleness and kindness and long-suffering toward one another, not quick-tempered. So we start this morning where Paul says, not addicted to wine. Literally, that, that word is, those words are, to be beside the wine, to be beside the wine. The idea is referencing someone for whom alcohol has become a constant companion, a help, something to which someone goes to when uh, life is hard or, um, or whatever reason. It becomes your constant companion. Why is this an important characteristic to Paul? Because he lays out the problem for the drunkard. In Ephesians 5, he says, if you're going to be filled up with this kind of spirit... You can't be filled up with the Holy Spirit. And he puts them in uh, just uh, contradiction to themselves. It's one or the other. It's not both and. Um, one spirit will guide you as opposed to both. And so he says it's important here. And I, and I, and I think the res, the, the, Paul likewise refers to uh, the abuse of drugs that cloud the thinking, regardless of whether they're legal or not. Um, you know, the pastor or the Christian is called to be sober-minded. How can you think seriously about Jesus Christ, about eternity, about the souls of others, if you are not sober-minded, if you're medicating yourself, whether to forget your troubles or to get buzzed, uh, whatever it is, how can you devote yourself to prayer and to meditation on the Word if you can't think straight. So Paul says this is an important thing. And the devil knows the battle we're in. 
He knows um, what this is, and he seeks to cause as many casualties in any way he can. Uh, this, this is a big industry for him. Uh, it's a big industry because I think more wickedness has been perpetrated under the influence of alcohol or drugs than, than many other things. Um, so he says, put off drunkenness. Put on the Holy Spirit of soberness, of serious-mindedness for what God has for you to carry out. So not near, not neighbor to the wine, not addicted to wine. uh, Secondly, Paul says, not a fighter, not a fighter. Uh, This describes an individual who is ready to argue, um, who uh, has the idea of bullying, bullying one through, uh, bullying their way through a situation. Uh, someone is, who's always ready to come to blows, physically or, or verbally, the individual with the chip on their shoulder. Something to prove. I have something to prove. Paul uses this uh, word, a related word, in talking about prohibiting, sharply rebuking others. Um, are you combative? Uh, is that your attitude? Do you look to pick fights on controversial subjects just because you like coming out on top? I, I know that sometimes people call themselves valiant for truth. I've heard that phrase, valiant for truth. Uh, but it's really because they want to be right. And they want to carry that out. Um, So I I, I think Paul, think about why Paul would say this is an important characteristic for pastors or or for Christians. Um, For pastors, the pulpit can become a great opportunity to unleash ire against others. And, you know, certainly we've all felt it. Um, we're, We're beat up, but because the Word is speaking to us, right? Not because somebody's trying to beat us up, uh, but may this being beat up never be because we're being attacked by the one preaching rather than the object of the mercy of the Holy Spirit that's trying to impart truth to us, even when it's difficult to hear, because we need to hear the truth. We do. And so Paul recognizes this can be a temptation to do that, whether behind the pulpit or whether behind the teacher's lectern or behind the supervisor's desk. We need to be careful. Um, maybe you have a combative nature. Maybe, you've been, maybe you were bullied growing up and, and you, you learned that as a defense mechanism Maybe the Holy Spirit's revealing to you the necessity for your forgiveness, for forgiveness on your part toward others because of that. Um, Regardless of that, if the Holy Spirit points that out to you, it's always right to ask for for wisdom. When we lack wisdom, we're to ask, God, how do I handle this? How How do I avoid being combative? How do I avoid this? I I think the godly characteristic to seek to put on in this this way is also gentleness and kindness. God, how do I I come to others in gentleness, in your spirit's kindness, 
Help me to develop that in my life. Help me to carry that out and do that. If, we're, if we tend to find ourselves being pugilistic toward others. Thirdly, Paul says, not fond of sordid gain. Not fond of sordid gain. It means that which we obtain shamefully, that which we come across, that which we try to uh, earn in a shameful fashion. Pastors and, and all Christians, we, we ought to be marked by, by a desire to earn money in an upright way, in, a, in an honest way, in a godly way. Proverbs speaks of the blessing of those who work diligently uh, in an upright manner. Peter uses the two words, the, the, the opposite word, the opposing words here in, in 1 Peter chapter 5 when he talks to pastors about this. He says, he, he tells them in 1 Peter chapter 5, he goes, I, I exhort the elders to shepherd the flock of God among you, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Making money should not be the reason a person seeks to become a pastor. He might become discouraged if that's his reason for doing that. But with a hearty eagerness to carry out faithful service to the Lord. I think that's how we need to contrast or how Paul contrasts, rather, the false teachers in verse 11. He says they're teaching things for the sake of sordid gain. May it never be spoken of us. And yet, even though, and you think about this for a minute, even though you, you might have a heart that's right regarding money, we have to be vigilant in that. Because Jesus said money is deceptive, it's deceitful. It, it can deceive us, and, and we need to see that. We need to recognize and, and understand this. Um, money can't give you, money can't give you what it promises, right? It promises security. Money promises security, but it can't give that. Think about the individual who all their life has, has hoarded up their money. They, this is going to be, Proverbs speaks of it as the, the rich man has money as a wall in his mind, a wall of protection. Think about that individual all their life, and then they end up with some terminal disease at the end of their life. Here it was, they thought, I've got enough money to retire, I've got everything, and, and they retire, and boom. Like the man in Luke chapter 12, where Jesus was telling that parable, and God said to the man, you fool, you've saved up all these things, now who will they go to? Because you are not rich toward God. And so we, we have to realize this. We, we realize that only God can give that security. Only God can do that. Money can be a God that call, calls us to hoard. When you feel that hoarding desire, Jesus said the only way to break the power of that is to give. 
And, and I think there's a difference. I think you would recognize this, right? There's a difference between feeling satisfaction when you receive a paycheck because you've worked hard for it and you're glad that God provided it for you to meet your needs. There's a difference from that and where you feel a sense of security in the money itself. <laughs> Nothing can touch me now, right? There's a difference between that. It's good. To rejoice in what God has allowed us to do and be able to work and do that and, and receive that. If we looked at it improperly, if we look at it improperly, our feeling changes, right? Think about, um, there's no better gut check to this than when you think, you, you, you think of your money that's being your priority, all of a sudden your bank account gets emptied quickly and you're like, how am I responding right now? What is my real priority? It, it really shows us quickly when that happens. What are we trusting in? What are we resting in? And it helps us to be able to turn and say, no, 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 I've got to turn back to the Lord. Think about, why am I getting agitated inside? Because I'm trusting in that instead of Him who's faithful. Uh, Proverbs says money can get, gather wings, take on wings and fly away. And it, and it does and it can and it will. So what is our proper attitude toward money? I think Paul lays it out in, in, in Philippians chapter 4. I think the word, so very simple, contentment. Contentment in Christ. He says, not that I speak from want. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. I know how to get along with humble means. I know also how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having abundance and suffering need. Now, now we like the abundance part, right? We like the abundance. That's easy to learn. But not so much on the want side of it. And we need to see this. We need to put on contentment. Lord, I need to put on your contentment in Christ, what you've given me. Think about what he's provided for us. How expensive is salvation? Well, it wasn't free to pay for it, right? It's, it's free as a gift from him, but it was expensive. It was eternally expensive. And if he provided salvation for us, will he not also with him provide all things. We can be content in Him. And lastly, we're going to look today at is, Paul says, hospitable. Hospitable. Literally, it means to be the friend of strangers. Friend of strangers. That's harder to, 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 to do today, is it? Being a friend of strangers. A, a related word describes receiving or housing strangers. It speaks of being friendly and welcoming, of meeting the needs of strangers. And, and in a day like this, helping strangers may seem scary or maybe completely untenable as a practice. Jesus did say, though, we're to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as... I'm not going to pull over and help that person. It may not be the right time to do that, but can we be as wise as serpents and yet as innocent as doves in doing that? I, I used to pick up hitchhikers to share the gospel with them as I was driving. 
And uh, one day I was coming back from the Navy base. I was heading home. This is in Charleston. And I pick up this guy on the side of the road, and we're, we're driving, talking. I said, so where are, you, where are you going? You know, I, he goes, I'm going home. I said, where, where have you been doing? He goes, oh, I just got out of prison. I said, oh, really? Um, for what? He said, oh, I, I beat somebody up. He's about 6'2", six 6'3", six something like that. And I, I was, you know, I wanted to say, like, was it somebody who gave you a ride? But I, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't. You know, I did op- have the opportunity to share the gospel with him. But, you know, maybe that's, that's wise or not, depending on who you are. Um, so, but seeking to meet the need of strangers, how can you do that? How can you do that? The scripture, especially the Old Testament, speaks of treating strangers, aliens, refugees with kindness and not mistreating them because they're, they're disadvantaged in, in some way. And I think as we see this, there's two types of people that we ought to show hospitality toward, that we ought to practice hospitality toward. First of all, those who are strangers on earth. Those who are strangers on earth. John speaks about that in his third letter. In third John, in verse 5, he says, Beloved, you're acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, especially when they are strangers. They've testified to your love before the church. You'll do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name accepting nothing for the, from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. And so, you know, here are those who are strangers on earth. There are other believers who need, maybe it's missionaries that are traveling. They need a place to stay. You know, my, my wife is probably more hospitable than I am and, you know, we'll have, have this need. There'll be somebody coming in the area or something. We, we could have them over our house. And I'm like, yeah, and so where are we going to sleep? She goes, we'll figure it out. You know, we usually do figure it out. But, you know, there it is. It's, you know, that kind of thing. Are, are you housing missionaries, other Christians? When my, my wife and I moved down to Charleston, it, it was Hurricane Hugo. It just hit. It was like 1989. Hurricane Hugo had just hit. And... Um, so there was really nothing. Our house that we were, we were going to be closing on wasn't ready. And we're like, we gotta, we got to check in and um, we, where we find a place to stay. Well, the church we were in in Connecticut knew of a, a commander who had moved down there, he and his, he and his family. And um, they called them for us and said, hey, we've got a, a new um, Folks coming down to your area, would you house them? We didn't know them. We'd never seen them before. Uh, they're still good friends of ours today. Um, they're going to be good friends or really, really bad enemies. But uh, we're, we're still good friends today. But, you know, there's hospitality, entertaining strangers uh, for, for the glory of God. And, and maybe you can do that. But there's also another set of strangers that... Um, we ought to consider and be aware of and seek to meet the needs of. And that's those who are strangers to God. Those who are strangers to God. In, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul speaks of those who are strangers to God. And 
you who know Christ ought to love and seek to help these people, those who are strangers to God. Paul says, you who are strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Let me ask you a question. Are you a stranger to God? What I mean by that is this. Do you have no hope? Are you without God so that you know that you have eternal life? Now you say, well, you know, I'm, really, I'm a really good person. I hope God would accept me. That's not what Paul says there. He says you're a stranger to the covenant of God's promise, which is eternal life. Without hope and without God in the world. See, a stranger to God is someone, not someone who thinks, I go to church, therefore I'm going to go to heaven. Right? That's a stranger to God. Somebody who thinks by just going to church I can get to heaven. It's, it's somebody who thinks, well, I pray all the time. Therefore, I must be going to heaven. There are a lot of people who pray. They're not going to heaven. But, but I believe in God, so I, I must be going to heaven. The Scripture says the demons believe in God, and they tremble. Well, I read my Bible, so I must be going to heaven. No. No. Devil knows the Bible. He quotes the Bible. I tell other people about God. You know what? When I was growing up, I went to church. I heard the scripture. I told people about God. I remember I was at a beach one time. I was like maybe seven or eight. And I saw this other kid about my age, and I began to tell him about God. But I didn't know Jesus Christ is my Savior. Anything you do cannot make you right with God. And if that's what you've been relying on, you are a stranger to God's covenants of promise. You are without hope and you are without God in the world. But let me change that for you. Because God says... Here in Ephesians chapter 2, you who were formerly far off in Christ Jesus have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You can come to God today. You can have eternal life through the blood of Jesus Christ if you'll trust in his death and resurrection for the payment of your sin. You see, that's what he says here. He, Christ himself, is our peace. He's what brought us to peace with God. He abolished in his flesh the enmity, the law of commandments. You see, the law is against you. It's not for you. Don't say, well, I try to keep the law and I do all these good things. And I, and I look at the law, don't steal, don't kill, don't, uh, don't lie. I, I try to do all these things and keep them. 
Paul says those are against you because it marks every time you miss them. It doesn't give you any credit for every time you do them. Imagine going standing before a judge and you say, well, Your Honor, I keep most of them all the time. How will that, how will that fare for you? It won't. James in his letter says, whoever keeps the whole law and offends in one point is guilty of it all. He's a lawbreaker. You need the blood of Christ shed for your sin on the cross. See, he died and he rose again. Paul says, we saw him. If there's no resurrection, Paul said, if there's no physical resurrection of Christ, you are with all men, without hope, most miserable. If there's no resurrection, you're still in your sin. Well, how do you receive this hope, this peace, this abolishing of the enmity between you and God? Scripture says it very clearly. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. If you call upon him, he will save you. He'll give you life. He'll give you new life in him. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Christ in you is the hope of glory. You need to receive Him as your Savior. That's your only hope. That is the hope. That is life everlasting. And if you're here this morning as a stranger to God, separated from Him because of your sin, you can receive Him as your Savior today. You can have Him as a gift. You can have eternal life through His Son. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the grace that's found in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank You for Your mercies to us, loving us so much You gave Your Son. And Lord, if there's someone here today that does not know You, that's not received You as their Savior, that they would call upon You, that they would receive You. Lord, we pray and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we get ready to sing 471, the way of the cross leads home. Is that right? Yes, the way of the cross leads home. If you need Christ as your Savior, would you come? Somebody will take you aside and pray with you to receive Christ if you need Him. Please, as we start, you come as we sing.
Sing that second verse. Do you need Christ as your Savior? Please, would you come? Maybe also, you know Christ. You just want to pray for some of those you know who are still strangers to God, who need Him. If you do, would you come as we sing on this next verse? to know as I onward go, the way of the cross leads home. All right. So as we conclude with prayer, we're going to start our business meeting as soon as possible here this morning, maybe 11.15 or 11.20. And then afterwards, we have our soup bowl fellowship, uh, some very good food coming, uh, coming out here. Um, so let's pray together. And uh, we will be dismissed for a moment. Father, we bless you and thank you for this day. We love you, Lord, our rock and fortress, our God in whom we take refuge. There's no God like you, you who sits enthroned above the cherubim. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you've made a way for us strangers, us aliens and refugees, to come to Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for this day. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.